Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Well, welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Thank you for being with me. I love meeting with you. I love talking about the important ideas we get to talk about, and I love hearing from you after you've heard the podcast. Today, I want to talk about something that I am finding absolutely thrilling and exciting. It's relatively new to me, this field. I've come into relationship with some people who are experts, and they're teaching me, and I got to tell you, it's pretty exciting to me. So without telling you exactly what I'm talking about, let me give you some statistics which are absolutely verified, absolutely true, but which are stunning and thrilling. From 1990 to 2015, one billion people in the world were lifted out of extreme poverty. Think about that now. From 1990 to 2015, one billion people were lifted out of extreme poverty. That's pretty stunning, but listen to this. In the last 36 months of that time, 2012 to 2015, 200 million people were lifted out of extreme poverty, which means that the pace throughout those years was not just steady, it was quickening, it was increasing, it was becoming more rapid. Those are absolutely stunning statistics, and the pace continues and it's gaining speed. So a billion people now, far more, just in the last 25, 30 years, are, have been lifted out of extreme poverty, and that pace is increasing. Now, what has led to this? What has led to this? Has it been free market economics? Has it been changes in government? Has it been media? Well, whatever roles those things might have, the main change has been the availability of food that people have had food more readily available. They've had to spend less time as a culture producing food. And so there has been time for the other factors in cultural advance. Now, see, I would not have thought that way. I've lived in the Western world uh, my whole life. I've certainly worked and ministered and taught and, and uh, you know, done relief work in, in third world and troubled countries. But, but I've lived, I admit, my whole life basically in the Western world. I grew up the son of an army officer, a high-ranking army officer, never lacked for a meal, never had to think about it, uh, you know, went off to college, have, have lived as a, in Texas and in Nashville and in D.C. since then. Uh, at least middle class, if not beyond. I'm not bragging. I'm just trying to identify myself socioeconomically. Food has not been much on my mind other than, of course, enjoying a good meal. But food worldwide uh, is something that is coming increasingly into my focus. And I'll tell you more about that in a bit. What's fascinating is the way that food is increasingly the key to advancement in all other areas of society. So, for example, while those of us in the West spend very little time thinking about food, and I don't mean, of course, going out to eat what your favorite meal is. I'm talking about gaining food, basically feeding families, uh, producing food. Um, in, in developed countries, the challenge of food is much greater, so the concentration of time on the, on the development of food, on agricultural development, is much higher, and as a result, other areas of society are not as easily developed. So we're learning 
uh, and I'll tell you more about this in a minute, that food is the key to advancement in nearly all the major areas of a society. Once food is more readily available, once a large percentage of the population or a large percentage of personal income is not spent on food, there's time, there's money, there are resources for other things. It's absolutely fascinating. And this is defining the difference between prosperous countries and challenged countries today. Now, I think we all knew that. We all knew that third world countries, uh, challenged countries, I prefer to call them, uh, you know, had had greater challenges when it came to food. But just consider this for a moment. Uh, In in the industrialized West, let's just say United States, I'm sitting in Washington, D.C. as I record this, so we'll just talk about the U.S. In the West, only about one of every 50 people spend time producing food. They're involved in agriculture, in other words, only about one in every 50. But in other countries, let's say Ethiopia, for example, 82% of the people work in food production. You see what that does to a society. So here's Ethiopia, a country I love very much, and 82% of its population has to work in food production, either at a subsistence level or perhaps in agricultural industries. But that's what's necessary, given the challenges there, to feed the population. Whereas, as I said, it's only one in 50 in the West and, and probably uh, maybe slightly lower in the United States. So, you know, percentage slower, uh, lower. Uh, in the U.S., for example, only uh, of a person's personal income, only 9.7% is spent on food. So most of you listening to this podcast who live in the West, I realize that many of you listening to this podcast don't live in the West, and you know I'm trying to help you with what I'm saying here. Um, but most of you live in the West. You live in Europe. You live in the United States. Uh, you live in industrialized, advanced countries of Asia. You live in Australia, New Zealand, my friends down there. Um, you, We, for the most part, spend just under 10% of our income on food, of our wealth on food. 9.7% is the, is the average. But in the Philippines, for example, example, uh, the challenged economies there, and I'm not talking about in downtown Manila, but in, but in, but in general, in the Philippines, 60% of a person's income is spent on food. So in the rural areas, in the unindustrialized areas, uh, on the, on the, in the 3,000 islands of the Philippines, for example, 60% of people's income on average would be spent on food. Think about the challenge that is. Think about what it takes away from education. Think about, think about what it takes away from other kinds of economic developments. Think about what it takes away from political involvement. Think about what it takes away from other sorts of investment that would mean advancement for an individual, a family, a tribe, a village, obviously a society. So I'm increasingly becoming fascinated with this, and here's the reason why. Uh, Two two reasons why. One one statistic that's going to blow your mind. Uh, I am beginning to understand uh, a study, uh, a way of thinking called comprehensive security. And comprehensive security is sort of an index where you look at a country and figure out uh, do, do, do the people there have total security? Is there advancement happening, happening in the society? Are the factors in place for these people to really prosper and thrive and live healthy lives and have secure lives? There, there's a graph I've seen. I wish I could show you on this podcast. Uh, it's called a radar graph. And basically what it does is it shows us what of the factors in a society are essential to the development of all other factors. And the one that is essential to all other factors in the development of society is food. It's food. 
In other words, if you don't have people fed, you're not going to have education. If you don't have people fed, you're not going to have uh, you know, political involvement. If you don't have people fed, you're not going to have the, the growth of shops and, and uh, industries and businesses and people with the, with the time and the investment and the, and the extra money uh, to, to, to develop uh, sort of, you know, trade in some way. Uh, you're not going to have economic growth in general. Uh, obviously, military would suffer. Obviously, other kinds of issues would suffer. You can imagine what, what would suffer if you be, people basically are challenged regarding food. Either they're not fed well or they're having to spend a massive percentage of their personal income or the societal wealth on the production of food. So increasingly, and this, is, this was new to me, frankly, uh, obviously I knew if you didn't feed a man, he couldn't do much else. But at a societal level, if, if food is not there, if, if food is a, a huge challenge, then every other area of society, every other area that marks the growth of society is going to be diminished. The one factor that is essential to the, to the growth, to the improvement, uh, to the thriving of all the other elements of a society's growth and, and rise is food. It's essential. Now, here's what's exciting to me. I got to tell you, this, this is really amazing. Experts in this field, experts, I'm not talking about Stephen Mansfield's view or just his buddies. I'm talking about experts at a high level. Uh, experts are now saying that because of changes in agriculture, because of our understanding of food, because of what certain agencies are doing, because of technological changes in food, the readiness of food, et cetera, the prep of food, technologies related to food, uh, technologies related to agriculture, all sorts of things that I certainly wouldn't be expert in. It is actually possible that we could eradicate hunger in the world by 2030. I want to say that again. We could eradicate hunger in the world by 2030. And that's a noble goal all by itself because we don't want to see people hungry. I mean, it's just whenever I hear that there are children going to bed hungry in America, it just makes me angry. We've got so much food. We've got so much wealth. I mean, good heavens. Bev and I, you know, we, we enjoy a good meal from time to time. But for the most part, we don't even think about food. We don't, we don't think about our next meal. And, and uh, because we, of the way we eat when we're not, you know, eating out or something, we probably spend less than that 9.7%. I mean, it's nothing to us. Um, and our society as a whole, I mean, we've got food just rotting away. And the fact that any child, any person in this country, in the United States, arguably the wealthiest country in the world, goes hungry at night makes me furious. The fact that it's happening worldwide, the fact that I've seen it even in, like I say, downtown Manila or Central Africa or other places just makes me angry. But the idea that we can eradicate hungry hunger by 2030, I mean, think about that. That's only about 11 years from now that it actually can be eradicated is thrilling. And what that does is not just put food in mouths, as I was saying, that alone is a noble goal. Uh, That's why I mentioned getting so angry about children not being fed. But what it's going to unleash of cultural advance, it's going to mean advances in education. It's going to mean economic advances. It's going to mean advancement in the arts. It's going to mean advancement in other ways. It's going to to mean tremendous things for societies when, as for example, in Ethiopia, you don't have 82% of your population uh, you know, having to work in agriculture, when you have people not going to bed hungry at night, when you have people not starving, that's what's going to make the difference. It is actually possible for us to wipe out hunger by the years 2030. 
And I can tell you as a historian, I won't go deeply into this, but I can tell you as a historian that even though I didn't know some of these stats and even though I didn't know some of these graphs and charts, the fact is that all throughout history, great cultural advances, we call them surges sometimes, usually occurred after there was also a surge in food. When people were better fed, uh, when there had been technologies or discoveries or trade or exploration that in some way increased the availability of food, that's when there were surges in all sorts of things, knowledge, understanding, universities, uh, peace, um, the arts, uh, scientific development, everything that marks a society, everything that causes growth, everything that means a great civilization or culture has come in history, usually after great surges in the availability of food. And it's because then people didn't have to, first of all, they were just better nourished and that leads to every kind of human endeavor. But but as a society, uh, they weren't constantly drained by having to take care of basically subsistence sort of agricultural development. That's what has gone on in much of the world. So we can see something exciting happening happen in our generation, and we can be part of it. Now, I assume you listen to this podcast because there's some degree of trust in me. I don't think you're going to hand me your wallet, but I'm just saying you trust me. And I have never sold anything on this podcast. I might have mentioned a book of mine. I might have mentioned somewhere I was speaking, but I don't sell things. And I'm not going to start selling things. But I have come into relationship with a, a number of people. The organization that I'm most impressed with amongst that group of people is an organization called Convoy of Hope. If you're listening to this podcast and you are stirred in your heart and saying, how can somebody like me, you know, just a suburban guy living in Dallas or, or, or a housewife living in Seattle, or, or, you know, maybe I'm a pastor, maybe you're a, you know, maybe, maybe you're a lawyer, a lot of politicians uh, and people active politically listen to this. But if you're saying, man, I want to, I would like to contribute to this in some way. I'd like to make a difference. I want you to check out Convoy of Hope. Their website's convoyofhope.org. I have no connection to them other than being friends with them and occasionally speaking at their events. I, I don't have any connection. I, I, I'm not going to give you a code so I can get a kickback. There's nothing like that. Trust me. It's just an organization that I really believe in. They don't spend the money on high overhead. They're good people. They do smart things. They raise money in smart and ethical ways ways, and they make a massive difference in the world. I imagine when you go to their site, you're going to see some of their videos. Um, Pretty amazing. So sure, there are other organizations working in hunger. I don't know them very well, or I might even mention them right now. I just don't know their names. I mean, I can think of names like Feed the Children. I know nothing about Feed the Children. If somebody wants to educate me, I'll I'll be happy to mention that organization if if it's as good as I hear it is uh, in the future, and maybe some others. But the one I'm impressed with, the one I'm going to help, the one I'm going to continue to speak for and continue to advocate for, and again, that's without any official position or financial connection at all, trust me, is Convoy of Hope. Again, their website is convoyofhope.org. So dive in with them. But the broader purpose of this podcast is to say, we are living at a time when something amazing is happening. And by the way, I'm a guy who watches trends and I wasn't that aware of it. I've been alive during that entire surge that I've told you about. I told you that from 1990 to 2015, a billion people have been lifted out of extreme poverty. And in the last 36 months of that period, 200,000 were lifted out of extreme poverty. That happened while I was an adult. I mean, I, heck, I graduated from college in 1981. I was in my 30s when this started to happen. I, did, I had no idea. 
Um, so, so I'm thrilled that it's happening. And what's what's really exciting is that if we if the experts are right, and it seems that they are, and we can eradicate extreme poverty and extreme hunger in the world by 2030, well, that's going to happen in the next 11 years. Heck, I'm going to be running marathons in 10 years if I have anything to say about it. So, what I'm saying is this is all happening while I'm alive and producing and and have extra wealth to give and and, and can be part of this. I want to help with this. I want to serve this cause. I want to know about it. And I want to figure out some way to participate in it. I want you to do the same thing. But keep an eye on food. In the West, food's almost entertainment. We have so much of it that, you know, eating out is like a hobby. Fine. I'm not here to talk about diets and working out and whether you ought to be eating out at night or not. That's that's up to you. But make sure, please, that you are part of this thing that's happening in our generation where poverty could be wiped out in the next, well, conservatively, 11 years. Who knows? Maybe it's 15 years. Will most of us on this pod, listening to this podcast still be alive during that time? And we can see poverty wiped out in our generation. If your motivation is God, surely he's pleased with that. Think about how many times he speaks of that in, 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 his, in his revelations. If your motivation is, is just humane, you're not a religious person, but you just want to see people changed and people lifted out of poverty and, and see human suffering alleviated and see tyrannical governments uh, lose their stranglehold, this is the way. Even an, even an average person walking the street, even what we sometimes call Walmart America, you know, just average guy in every country in the world can make a difference. And again, I want to urge Convoy of Hope just because I think they're doing doing it the right way and doing it effectively. But get involved with somebody somewhere, somebody who's making a large-scale difference in the issue of hunger and poverty. I think this is a generational call, and I think you want to be part of it. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv.